last year we did a comedy night, and it was a great opportunity to invite friends to. Uh, Kenny did a one-man show out there. I requested this song, and he just killed it. And then we had Ken Kington do about an hour comedy set. It was so well attended last year. It's not really a religious event as much as just a fun comedy, hangout, listen to some great music night. Great chance to invite friends or neighbors, never been to our church maybe, would love to be on the property. It's going to be out in the tent again this, this year. In fact, we're going to do two showings this year, and Ken's coming back to do half the comedy. He's bringing back another comedian friend to him, Johnny W., and we're going to have an hour of music, an hour of comedy, so sign up for that coming up in just a few weeks. We'd love to have you be part of that. Well, I love that last song. That last song, Ants Marching, talks about the fact that when we're kids, we're under the table, we're dreaming big dreams, where we're going to go, what we're going to be. And as we get older, we're just like ants marching, doing the same thing, going through the routine. We're just so busy all the time. And I, for one, love being busy, but I both love it and hate it, because though I love activity and love being busy, sometimes it crowds out the things that really matter, the things that are important to us. What we're going to find today in Greenhouse is that there's lessons we can learn in the Greenhouse about how we manage our time. We're going to find a time in Israel where people are setting up a king, like the king firm, and how it's going to not be exactly what they hoped they were, because the good people were just too busy. And some things like the snake plant that look really good on the outside don't necessarily operate the way they intended on the inside. How do you handle your time? How do you feel about busyness? Isn't it true that often it's the tyranny of the urgent and it's the things that we really should prioritize that sometimes get leftover energy and leftover place in our calendar? I mean, for me, for someone who likes being busy, gardening is the opposite of what I like. It's slow. And you wait a long time to see the results of gardening. And it's part of a lot of tedious work. Like my, my dad used to pay us kids a penny for every weed we pulled out of the driveway. Yeah, inflation has been good to the weed pullers. I mean, I remember pulling weeds in our driveway. And like after a whole morning, I got like you know, 125 weeds. I get like a buck 25, whatever. It's like they're painful. I never liked weeding. I never had time for weeding. It never felt like a good use of my time. But those weeds, by the time you notice them, they take over, right? And often we say to ourselves, I'm just too busy for that. But I came across a phrase 20 years ago that I think has really helped me stop lying to myself. That when I say I'm too busy, it really means it's not a priority. And this quickly kind of forces me to be honest about my priorities. I say, oh yeah, when's the last time you and your wife went on a date, just the two of you? All of us say, well, I'm just too busy. Well, actually, it's just not a priority. Because if when you were dating, I said to you long, long ago, whenever you were dating before you got married, you're, there's going to come a time in the future. You're going to be so busy that you never go out just the two of you to have fun. You'd look at me like I was crazy. Yeah, I talk with couples often who haven't been on a date, just the two of them, for years. Haven't been on a vacation, just the two of them, for years. And yet... We know that it's not that we're too busy. We make time for other things. It just wasn't a priority. And often we don't pull the weeds out that are growing in our life because we haven't made a priority. We're too busy to date, too busy to have that tough conversation with that employee, right? You knew you had to have it. You knew you should have it. 
It's not like that weed's getting any smaller as you don't have that tough conversation. Because we're so busy, we often don't take time to reflect. Why did I get so irritated when my boss said that to me today? I don't take time to maybe pause and contemplatively ask, why did I react to my son the way I reacted today? I don't take time to pull out and weed and get to the root of that habit that maybe is growing in a way that's not sustainable or not good. We don't have time to weed our garden, but it's not really that we're too busy. It's just that it's not a priority. And the thing about weeds and weeding is it doesn't look like a priority. I mean, we're going to talk today about a thing called the atad tree. So it's a bush that turns into a tree. And the thing about the atad tree, also known as the bramble, is the seeds are really, really small. They're little circles, little bitty dots, about the size of a marble. Now, does that look intimidating? If there's a few little marbles sitting around in your life, are you going to say, of everything i got going on, I'm going to pick up those little green circles? No, it's not a priority. The problem is those little circles eventually turn into saplings. But again, we're hustling, we're bustling, we're moving around, we got plenty of stuff going on. It'd be so easy to reach down and pull that thing out when it's a sapling. But it's not a priority. And if you let the sapling of an atad tree grow, it turns into a pretty evasive bush. That's the atad tree, the bramble, when it gets bigger. Now at this point... (laughs) You may notice it. Beth and I had that the other day. I went to the backyard. I'm like, how did that weed get there? That thing is monstrous. You ever had that moment? It just suddenly seemed to grow up overnight. But if you still don't prioritize it, that atad bush goes into an atad tree. And at this point, you got a problem pulling that out of your yard. And this atad tree is in Israel. It's surrounded by brick and rock. But if you see it more in like a public park, you notice something. If you look under the atad tree, that little weed that grew into a tree, there's just nothing underneath it. Look at the dryness and the deadness. It kills everything around it as it begins to grow. This is because of a scientific and chemical process that the atad tree has called the allopathy. Allopathy is this defense mechanism the the atad tree has that it lets out a chemical through its leaves and through its roots that kills anything in its proximity. All of a sudden, those little green marbles look a little more serious. I may want to make it a priority to pull some of those out because if they're eventually going to kill everything around it, I might need to up it on the priority list. Well, this tree becomes focus in a Bible passage sometime around 1200 B.C. in a place called Shechem. Now, Shechem is a real place in Israel, where there is a a story going on about a king. A king fern has taken over, and this new king is a bit like the snake plant. It looks like one thing, but it's very different. The king's name is Abimelech, and Abimelech has decided to kill 70 of his brothers, but he misses one. And one of his brothers is in hiding. He's the most wanted man in all of the nation. His name is Jotham, and he's been hiding out. So join me in Shechem, and let me share a little bit about what happens when Abimelech, the king, is trying to hunt him down. All right, let's go to Israel for a moment. As we head to Israel, modern-day Israel is a place called um, Nablus, but this is what ancient 
Shechem look like. You can see the two mounds on each side. As we get closer, this was a massive city in Abraham's day as well as the time of Judges where we're going to be at today. The people are gathered together. The king, King Abimelech, is now in charge. Everyone is hunting for Jotham. If I was being hunted by the king, I would hide. But instead, he courageously and bravely decides to come and confront the people for putting this tyrant in charge. He's been hiding out in the rocks with his, uh, with his livestock, and the people are shocked to find that he marches his way down this mound into the city of Shechem to give an incredible speech, a parable really. It's the first parable ever mentioned in the Bible. He says, once there was a group of trees who looked for a leader, for they desired a king. Who will reign over us? The trees say to themselves, we must find someone to be our king and leader to reign over us. As they look around, they thought, let's go to the olive tree. As they came to the olive tree, they said, would you reign over us, O mighty olive tree? And the olive tree said, I would, but I'm just too busy making olives that we use for light and for cooking. Should I cease doing that? I cannot reign over you. I'm just too busy. So they came to the fig tree. Said, oh, mighty fig tree, would you reign over us and be our king? And the fig tree said, I would love to reign over you, but as you know, I'm too busy making these beautiful and delicious figs that we have in our desserts, that we have in our meals. Should I cease making the figs to come and reign over you? No, no, no. I cannot reign over you. I'm just too busy. So they came to the vine. They said to the vine, would you reign over us? And the vine said, I would, but I'm just too busy making grapes. The sweetness of the wine we drink. You don't want me to cease from doing that, do you? I cannot reign over you. So then they came to the bramble, the atad tree. And they said, would you reign over us? And the atad tree said, oh, I will reign over you. In fact, if you don't make me king, I will burn the place down. So the people made him king. To which Jotham says to them, you have put a bramble in charge of our nation. And in doing so, the cedars of Lebanon, the symbol of integrity, the symbol of doing the right thing and serving other people, you have torn down the cedars of Lebanon by making Abimelech king. For I am the only one left of 70 brothers. For my father fought for you. Our nation is free today because my dad risked his life for you and fought and delivered you. Have you served him in sincerity and truth? Or have you let him tear down the cedars of Lebanon by the way you've acted today by making this king in charge? This is the parable of the trees that looked for a leader. And good people were too busy to serve. So the bramble was put in charge. Fascinating parable, isn't it? First parable ever used in the Bible. Very common in the Middle East to use stories of trees as metaphors for people. And here's Jotham. 69 of his brothers have been killed and he's the only one left. Instead of cowering, he goes to confront the people for what they've done. Or look at today what he confronts them about. What have they been too busy to weed? And what have they been too busy to feed? And what is in our life that we need to weed out before it becomes a problem? That's the first point, weeding. I can't be too busy to weed 
the seeds that are going to turn into something worse in my life. And again, it's just so easy. We're so busy. It's hard to prioritize the things that, that might grow into something greater. Taking the time to think about why I reacted the way I did. To, to think about the bigger questions in life. Like what really matters and who is God and where does meaning and significance come from? But these are the things that if we don't weed them, if we don't look into them, the antithesis grows. So Jotham referenced that the people didn't respect his dad, Gideon. His dad, Gideon, was like a George Washington of his day. He literally liberated the people from the evil Midianites. And so we need to go back in time to figure out his dad, what happened in his story, to understand this story. Gideon was a man who's going to be one of the first judges. And he's going to lead the people into spiritual revolution, uh, political revolution. He's pushing it back against these terrorist nation. These Midianites who have been stealing their women, stealing their kids, destroying their crops for generations. And Gideon is terrified. In fact, one of the weeds in Gideon's life is fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of being inappropriate, fear of not being recognized, and fear of the Midianites, which was very legitimate. They literally were terrorizing the nation. But amazingly, God is going to continue to, to work with Gideon to pull out the weeds of all these different fears in his life to begin to bring freedom into his life in a pretty amazing way. So he does. He begins to pull the weeds. In fact, God says, first thing I want you to do is your dad is the mayor of, of the town, and he has a statue set up to Baal. Baal is the God who demands child sacrifice. And so the Midianites are sacrificing your children to the gods that your dad has up in the town square. I want you to face your own family issues. I want you to take 10 men and go and knock down the statues of this God who's requiring child sacrifice. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants, and he did as the Lord had said to him. But he was still scared, but he feared his father's household. Now God's going to work many different ways for him to deal with this fear, but this is the first step. He deals with his own issues and his own family. Well, the next day, people show the, come up and they see that the Baal statue has been knocked over and they're all angry. They turn to the mayor, Gideon's dad, what are you going to do about this? And his dad says, listen, if the statue that fell over is really God, he should be able to take care of himself. Pretty smart. Let's not do something to my son Gideon. Let's let our God, Baal, take care of him for himself. They all kind of agree to that. So they rename Gideon Jerubbabel, which means one who wrestles with Baal. So they called him Jerubbabel, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So he basically becomes known as the Baal wrestler because he wrestled with his fear. He wrestled with his, his, his public image. He wrestled with there's a new way of living. There's a new way of serving that's different from my dad. And there's several other ways that Gideon deals with fear. He eventually leads the people into an incredible successful campaign, pushing back on the terrorist nation, the Midianites. But just right there, you just see a little piece of the ways he weeded out a few things. He weeded out his own fear. He took time to say, listen, why am I so fearful? If I'm going to be a general that takes over, I've got to deal with fear in my life. He weeded his priorities. His priorities had been the nation's priorities. He's decided to switch. What are my priorities? Why am I choosing to do what I did? He weeds his need for approval. Man, he did not become the most famous man in town by pushing over the statues they love so much. And then he really weeds his need to be identified with his father's success. 
And he continues to do that. In fact, he leads an incredible battle, 300 people coming up against 30,000. He wins the day, just an amazing battle, and he becomes the George Washington of his day. So he leads the people in this incredible victory. But you know, he never took the time to pull out some of his own deeper weeds by the roots. So much so that it's the weeds that he doesn't deal with that cause the problems we're going to talk about today. We get to later in his life, we find out that he has 70 children, Jotham being one of them, 70 sons, who were his own offspring. He didn't adopt them. He's got 70 sons. They didn't come from one woman. No. One of the things he never dealt with was his own lusts, his own inability to follow God's commandment of one man and one woman in marriage. So he had many wives. And if the many wives weren't enough, he had a concubine on the side. And from the concubine, which was in Shechem, bore him another son named Abimelech. And now we set up our story today. Because the weeds he didn't deal with in the past are the ones that face us today. He was too busy to deal with his own lusts, his own appetites, his own inability. And so Abimelech, the current king, was the son by his concubine who's going to see a moment where he can take over the town by killing off 70 of his sons by those many wives. Mm. So that son of Bimelech is like that little seed we looked at. It's a result of his mistakes. It's a result of his lust. It's a result of his brokenness and his inability to deal with his own problems. And it grows into a little plant. And that plant grows into this massive king that becomes known as Abimelech. This bramble, the bramble that's going to take over and ultimately destroy his faith, his family, and his future because literally 70 of his sons are going to be killed, or at least 69 of them, by this weed and this pattern in his life that he never dealt with. So Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, is adult now, he's grown, and he went to Shechem to all the people and he says, what is better for you that 70 sons of Jerubbabel, Gideon, reign over you or better that you just put me in charge? And so they put the bramble in charge. And what does he immediately do? He goes and kills off 69 of Gideon, Jerubbabel's sons. On one stone he did it. But Jotham, the youngest son, was left because he hid himself. I don't stand in judgment over Gideon because I've got things that I've been too busy to deal with, and maybe you do too. What are those things in your life, patterns, secrets, habits, small things that aren't right now big enough to deal with, that if you don't weed them, they might grow into something that will hurt the things you care about? I was talking to a business guy this week uh, downtown, and he said that one of the things he's very excited about in this stage of his life is mentoring younger men. He's got a bunch of 20-year-old young professionals that he's mentoring and just showing kind of the ropes on you know, how to be a leader, how to set their career, how to put things in place. He's just loving this stage of his career. He said he invited a couple of them to hear another guy, who very famous CFO here in the, in the city, who was going to share his story of success. He said, as they were talking, they were just amazed that the CFO described all these amazing accomplishments, this enviable resume that he had. And then he said, but guys, I got to tell you, I look good on the outside. But if you talk to my wife 15 years ago, I was not 
investing in her or our family the way I needed to. I was so obsessed with ambition, so obsessed with career development. And if you talk to my employees, I would say I drove them into the ground because my priorities didn't allow them to be the best version of themselves. So as you think about your career, I want you to know that it took me about 20 years before I started looking at significance and the role God played in my life and whether or not the things I was living for that looked good on the resume were really fulfilling me. There's a quote from Ben Franklin. He says, luxury does not fill a void, it creates it. Hmm. Luxury doesn't fill a void, it creates voids. He said, but of all the luxury I had, my wife has been kind enough to let me undo. Now that God is in the center of my life, I've started to weed some things. I've been growing up for a long time. And they didn't look like weeds, they looked like success. But I realized it was choking out the things that I thought really mattered in my marriage with my family. But my kids have been so gracious and my wife has been so gracious that I've been able to make changes. And even my employees can see the different environment here. We're still ambitious. We still get it done. But there's a different spirit here now because of some of the weeds I finally took the time to pull out. What are the weeds in your life that could grow into something bad? When my wife and I moved into uh, our house in LaGrange, Georgia, we had this beautiful house, 1940s house, 12-foot ceiling, crown molding, and it had been vacant for six months, which allowed us to negotiate pretty hard to get the good price we got on it. But we invited everybody to come down, enjoy the new house, and when we did, you know, we were doing laundry on the first floor and the second floor, and pretty quickly, the first couple days we were in, there was a plumbing problem, meaning you'd flush the toilet upstairs and you'd hear bubbles coming up through the sink downstairs. This isn't good. Well, our house had a seven-foot uh, tall crawl space you could walk into, which had the clean-out pipe. So all of the water in the entire three-story house came into this pipe about this big. And if you've ever seen a clean-out, maybe you haven't, but a plumber basically opens that thing up and you can see all the way down. It's not pressurized like a hot line or a cold line. It's literally just water hits it and just slowly goes down because of gravity. There's no pressure. So I said, hey, you know what, I know where the clean-out is, I'll go down and check it out. My dad was a plumber, and uh, as well as a teacher, he'd built houses, so we knew a lot about it. So I go downstairs, I walk through the door, and literally there's this <laughs> six, eight-inch around uh, pipe right here going all the way down into the dirt out to the road. I take out the, the wrench, and I think maybe I'll see something down there's blocking this thing. I spin the last thing, and <laughs> thank goodness it was laundry that was coming out of this thing, laundry soap, because I could have been worse. This thing was fully and completely pressurized with three stories of water busting out, knocking me back. And I'm trying to find the problem. I go back 10 feet into the pipe, nothing. Another cut, 10 feet in the pipe, nothing. Put another couple on, 10 feet in the pipe. Finally, I trace this thing down to right where the pipe from the house and the pipe from the, from the city linked together in my front yard, not my backyard, Whoever hooked it together didn't quite put the couple all the way together, just slightly off. And a little root got in there. And that root, over the last six to nine months of no one living in the house with no water passing through to get rid of it, grew and grew and grew and filled up my entire pipe, enough so that I got blasted by my plumbing, simply because a seed turned into a root and the root wasn't ground through. What are the weeds in your life and mine? And more than that, not just what do we need to weed, what do we need to feed? 
Because Jotham goes on to say, it's not just the weeds we need to get rid of. What are the things we need to feed in our life? The things that matter, the things that go farther. We can't be too busy to feed the seeds of the cedars. Feeding our marriage, feeding our life, feeding our soul, feeding refreshment and recreation in our life. I can't be too busy to feed the seeds of the cedars in my life. Remember that parable? He says, guys, a group of, of, a group of trees came together and they went to anoint a king. When they came to anoint the king, they came to the olive tree and said, rain over us. And the olive tree said, I'm just too busy. Should I cease making oil? See, we all have something that reigns over us. It might be our career. It might be our status. It might be reputation. I promise you, something's reigning over you and reigning over me. But when they tried to get something good to reign over them, it was too busy. So they came to the fig tree. Would you reign over us? Too busy. Came to the fig tree. Would you reign over us? Too busy. They came to the, to the vine. Would you reign over us? Too busy. It was only when they didn't feed the things that mattered and didn't prioritize what mattered that then they came to the bramble. And notice what the bramble says. If in truth you're going to anoint me as king, then come and take shelter in my shade. Do you remember what we learned about the Atad tree and its shade? Come take shelter in my poisonous allopathy. See, there are things that feel like shade for a moment, but you don't realize they may be poisoning other things in your life you don't realize. That's what the bramble did. That's what the Atad tree did. There's certain things in your life that if you make them the number one thing in your life, it will poison you. You make it the number two thing, make God the first thing, and it will just set its proper place. It will bring healthy growth and not poisonous growth in your life. He goes on after he says, take shelter in my shade. He then goes on and threatens them. This is a classic bramble threaten. He says, and the bramble said, anoint me as king over you, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble. And in those days, the bramble would catch fire because it could be very brittle. So often you'd see the bramble catching fire. And I will devour the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon is an image in the Bible. Almost like we would think of the California redwoods. They were these beautiful trees, like fir trees and spurs, spur, uh, like a pine tree kind of look, but a little bit different, very unique. But when people saw this, it was a signal of integrity, of doing the right thing, of prioritizing things the right way. And the bramble says, when I'm in charge, I begin to disintegrate the cedars in your life. So you and I need to not only weed the seeds that might contaminate us, but we need to feed the cedars in our life. And that's what Jotham says. Are you feeding the cedars in your life? The things that matter, the things that are going to last, are you feeding the things that really matter? First time I ever saw an Atet tree was on the Jordan River. Join me back in Israel again. I want to show you what that looked like because when you move along the Jordan River... It's just green everywhere. It's almost like being in a jungle right along the Jordan River, except when you get to an Atad tree. It's just death all around it. And this particular river, if you keep following it up to the north, you're going to come to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his time. It's amazing, first time I visited Israel, to see the Sea of Galilee. It's like a big lake. It's like four or five times, maybe ten times the size of East Fork Lake. It's not real big. But it's pretty amazing as you come up to the Jordan River into the Sea of Galilee, almost every single priority or way of living was represented around that, that sea. One group thought, hey, the way to reign over people was to have more rules. 
And so the Pharisees lived there right on the side of the Sea of Galilee and said, if we just had more rules and told people what to do, that would be the way that people would live. And, and another group thought if they incorporate politics and religion together, the Sadducees and Herodians, that would be the way to fix everything. Then there were the Romans who had kind of a value system of might makes right. We just crush people we disagree with. Then there's a group called the Zealots who are anti-government, and they were always literally taking stilettos and stabbing the Romans in the street. Jesus comes to this world where all kind of kingdoms and kings represent a way to live. He would often bring his disciples up to this mountain, Mount Arabel, and he would discuss the fact that he was a different kind of king and brought a different kind of kingdom, that the kingdoms of this world were all brambles compared to him, that his kingdom was one of love. And he said these radical things about loving other people more than yourself, denying yourself at times, loving your enemy praying for those who persecute you. And that mountain, if you look on the side of it, has caves on it. These caves were caves carved by the zealots who were trying to take down the Roman Empire by literally stabbing or killing them. But eventually the Romans found out, and the Romans were might makes right. They found that their sons and their daughters were hiding up in these caves, and they built giant ladders and tore them down, killed 5,000 in one day. You think we're politically divided today? You should have seen the political division in Jesus' day. And Jesus refused to endorse any of the kings and kingdoms represented there, but instead said, love your enemy, to which they must have thought that was crazy. You're sitting up on Mount Arbel looking at all the different kings and all the different administrations just saying, love my enemy? These people, the Romans, tore down and killed men and women and children. And then Jesus' whole new kingdom and kingship seemingly dies. Who wins, the Romans or Jesus? Well, they crucify him. But even when he's being crucified, Jesus, as he's dying, loves his enemies. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At that point, Jesus looks dead, shriveled up. His way, his kingship, it didn't reign over anyone. His love didn't work. But this is called the Jericho Rose, also known as the resurrection plant. Because just when it looks like Jesus failed, three days later, he rose back from the dead. The resurrection plant, you just touch it to water and it literally comes back to life and becomes green again. And Jesus ultimately overcame the entire Roman Empire because he taught a group of people how to love others, care for others, how to serve others, care for the handicapped, the poor, and the slave. His new kingship of reigning over others by loving people more than yourself, love God first, love others second, transformed the world and brought it back to life. Who's reigning over your life today? What reigns over your life today? And what are the priorities of letting that king reign over you? What if this began a journey today of you saying, I'm going to let the master gardener reign over me? Whatever happened to Abimelech anyway? Well, guess what? When you don't weed your own garden, Abimelech didn't weed his garden. He was a tyrant, killed off 69 of his brothers. But guess what? The same Abimelech who killed off everybody, eventually the people don't like how he runs the kingdom. So look what happens next to Abimelech. Come reign over us, is what the bramble said. And God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech because all the people did unto him exactly what he had done unto Gideon's sons, and he's killed by the very people he tried to overthrow. He didn't even weed his own garden. 
he let his lust for power reign over him. But the last part of the speech that Jotham gives is about what we feed. He says, guys, are you really operating in sincerity and truth to the cedars in your life? For my father Gideon, in all truth and sincerity, guys, you remember that he fought for us? He died for us. He risked his life for us. He delivered us out of that tyrannical time of the Midianites? Are you repaying my father risking his life for you and and fighting for you and delivering you by letting his sons get killed? No, let us live the priorities of recognizing that someone who died for you and risked his life for you is worth reigning over you. That would be a king. I think God might say the same thing to us, for he sent his son Jesus to earth to fight for us against our own brokenness, our own lack of priorities and mixed up metaphors. He came to to risk his life and literally risked his life and died for mankind. Jesus comes and says, listen, trust me, not because you have blind faith, but because I proved myself when I came into history. I proved myself by dying for you. I proved myself, even if you don't believe in me, look how I overturned the, the whole Roman ethical system because my love began to reign over people. Marriages get healed when God's love reigns over it. Families get restored when God's love reigns over it. Priorities get realigned. You become the best version of yourself when you begin to weed some of the poison out of your life and begin to feed the cedars that really matter in your life. And Jesus says, if you let me reign over you and my love reign over you, the love your enemies kind of love, it can transform all of us and we will all become a cedar of Lebanon. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for my broken priorities at times. And I ask that you would reign over me and my decisions and you would be my king. In Jesus' name, amen.